Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Today, I'm chatting with Richard Turner, an expert card mechanic who is known for his brilliant card trick performances. He was honored with a Golden Lion Award in Magic from Siegfried and Roy and the Lynn Searles Award for Excellence in Card Manipulation. He is the 2014 and 2017 recipient of the Close-Up Magician of the Year Award from the Academy of Magical Arts. And he's the subject of the inspiring documentary, Delt, which is a film that is near and dear to my heart that I absolutely loved. Richard Turner, thank you for joining me today. Dave, I am honored to be with you. So what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? The nicest thing that was done for me recently is my wife just helping me hook up to you and then giving me a kiss afterward. (laughs) That is very nice. That is very nice. And that was very recent. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I, I've been I've been very excited about speaking with you. My son Sam, uh, who is 15, is, has also been extremely excited. Um, we the first time we watched we watched Delt together when it first well just after it first came out in 2018. I know it came out in 2017, and so he was 11 at the time. And I will tell you, the movie uh, really touched me. Um, now I'm a I'm a magic nerd. I I, I definitely have no skills, nothing worth uh, mentioning. Um, but uh, when we watched the movie, one th- and it's I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I did want to tell you how emotional I got when um uh when Asa went off to college in the film, uh, and that is your son Asa who was 18 at the time, uh, going off to college because it it made me realize how quickly time passes. And uh, so I wanted to, to maybe begin by talking about that a little bit. I know Asa was sort of your partner in crime in a lot of ways. Like he was, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your relationship? Oh, yeah. He is my partner in crime yeah. and was and is. Yes. Uh, growing up, uh, we would, we had a, he had his own queen size bed. Because I didn't want to lay in a twin-sized bed next to him when we would just sit there and talk about the day nice. and uh, what's whatever happened and and uh, say our night prayers and so forth. Hmm. And so um, ever since uh, he was a little little tyke, he would go with us, Kim and I. We've traveled the world and we never left him at home since he was oh just since he was literally born. We would take him with us. And we have just all kinds of crazy adventures with our son. I'm, I was flown under orders by the Secretary of the Air Force in a C-21, the mm. Air Force equivalent of the Learjet, to um, uh, to the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency. Was it WDI? Yes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> um, and sitting in the front with all these uh, all the brass mm. is this two and a half year old kid, and I said. I'm Richard Turner, and I'm a cheat. And he goes, no, you're not. You're a boy. 
I still have that. And then he would, my wife and I, we performed together. Her character was misguided. She, I was the gambler, and she played uh, a turn-of-the-century school mom. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we had this dialogue like George, Burns, George Burns and Gracie Allen between us. And he got, all, he, he got all of our lines, had them memorized. And in the back of the theater, he'd be calling out the punchlines to my wife's, wife's jokes. And so finally she had to tell him, keep him out of the theater until after the show. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, he traveled the world with us and he was, uh, my, my bud. Um, he's, uh, his name is Asa, A-S-A, his middle name is Spades. So it's yes. a cool name, Asa Spades. Very cool name. Yeah. It doesn't get cooler than that. I know. In fact, you Google it and you know, people will say, Richard, Stern, Richard Turner's son has the coolest name in the world. I would kill for that name. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty fun. But anyway, like I said, he, we traveled all through the entire country of China, Japan, all through Europe, um, and in Hawaii and Canada and just you name it, we've been there. And uh, then when he went off to college, gosh, it was like, oh my gosh, there goes my traveling uh the par- partner our trio is now a duo yeah and uh and i remember growing up i would like i said i was laying would lay in bed and i would feel his head and i could actually feel him growing i'd go away for a, a maybe a tour or some private event and if i could i swore i could feel him growing and i kept voice mm. 10 that means i have eight more years and then he became 13 oh, i have five more years so i thought about it now it's like uh dealt in the movie Delt, he's just going off to college. Right. And the movie was released the year he graduated from college. So mm. it shows you, shows you how long it takes to make a film. Ah. And now he's uh, 25, and he uh, codes for a very large company, does virtual reality coding, has a very strong job with a very nice position and a wonderful lady Victoria, they've been together now for nine years. Oh, great. And, uh, but the good thing is he only lives about 15 minutes away from us. So, oh, you nice. Can see him. In fact, we're having him over week from Sunday for a big <laughs> event we have coming up. That's awesome. I, I love, I love that, you know, and I think about like my own childhood. My dad, um, and I had, had a complicated relationship. But when we were little, when I was little, he taught me my first card trick. And, and he also used to play uh, 99 at our cottage, this card game, this gambling game. And every once in a while I would win the pot, you know, and spend it all on candy. And it was, <laughs> it was just such a big deal and something, you know, I love uh, doing with my kids now. How did, how did your parents play a role in leading you to become who you are today? Well, my mom, she, for the most part, rejected us because having effective kids, when I, we, my sister and I both lost our sight, she mm. kind of, uh, dis- I'll just say disappeared mm. uh, emotionally and physically uh, in my teenage years. But my father, I would say he was one of the few people that love unconditionally. In the Greek, there are different types of love. There's eros, storgoi, uh, philia, and agape love. And agape love is a, a, love, a loving unconditionally. And he was one of the few people that uh, would love anybody. Didn't color, color, didn't matter what color they were, with their man, woman, green, black, red, yellow, rich or poor. He loved everybody. And, uh, and I got that from him. Plus, he was a, 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 a very gifted man. He only had a seventh grade education and he became a, a very respected engineer. He worked on the first uh, spaceships of uh, John Glenn and Alan Shepard up to the wow. first space shuttle. And, uh, and when he would do things, he'd have someone over and he would spend all day either making this for them or welding or putting this together or fixing or designing or creating something. At the end of the day, they'd always want to pay him. My dad would never take a dime. And hmm. I always would look at him going, man, I just wish I had half of his talent because whatever it was he could do, and he did it to perfection. And so uh, I, I always admired him, looked up to him, and I never thought I would actually 
hit his standards or let alone equal him. And then it turns out as I got older, I realized the, the gifts that my father had, I, I, I was blessed with some of those same gifts. So he was uh, just a very, very important man and uh, just a very just a special guy. I was very blessed with my father. And my sister says the same thing, and my brother. They all say, we have we had the best dad in the world. Mm. Mm. Was he was he around to see uh, some of your successes? Yes, he was. In fact, I, I'm called Richard Turner the Chief. Where did that come from? <laughs> my father, growing up, he'd say, hey, yo, cheat. He's from Tennessee, so he had that southern accent, and he'd call me, Hey, yo, cheat. <laughs> and he passed away in 2000. Uh, yeah, 2000. And all the way up to the last day, he'd say, hey, yo, cheat. <laughs> so, but he said it with affection. And, uh, and so 2000, you know, I, I was on That's Incredible in 1982. And, mm. you know, shows throughout, you know, around the country and around the world from that point till the time he passed. And so, yeah, he, he got to experience... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of my different successes at that time, and and know got to meet and know his grandson Asa. And unfortunately, not as long as I would have liked. Mm. But uh, because, because what happened was he fell and hit his head, and that's what uh, caused his death. It was just kind of an accident. Seventy-five. Um, mm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, but he was a he was a, an amazing father. Yeah, I was blessed to have him, and I wrote a book for my son. And I dedicate. I hope that I can give to him half of the love that my father gave to me. I have no doubt that you have accomplished that in spades. Uh, Ace so, of spades. Ace of spades. Yeah, there you Ace go. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so you're you're always, uh, you know, someone who who or seems to be always on the go. Like you're always doing stuff. I, you know, I can hear your uh, card shuffling in your hand. Uh, in the background, which, uh, you know, for anyone, and I hope, uh, our listeners have seen Delton. If they haven't yet, they definitely should see it because it's an, a powerful, important movie, I believe. Absolutely. Um, so we know that you're, you're doing that always. Um, but with travel and performance, you know, you spoke about traveling the world and, uh, with Asa and, and, um, with Kim as well. But with travel and performance stopped, um, you know, during the pandemic. How have you been managing things? I know, like for me personally, I'm a, I'm a speaker. I, this is what I do. I travel and I speak. And for that part of my business, first of all, financially, uh, they're a bit of a hit there, but not without getting into finances. How has, how have you managed this as, as someone who's always on the go? Well, first, let me, uh, answer or points on your question about always moving. My wife will tell you we've been together 30 years. Hmm. There's probably not. Five minutes of that time where I was relaxing or doing nothing. I am never doing nothing. I'm always doing one or three things at any given time, all the time. Mm. My wife will say that she'll hear me rehearsing a new show in my sleep because I memorize my scripts while I sleep. I put headphones on and I have a recorded and I listen to it and I memorize it while I sleep. And so she'll hear me in bed asleep, memorize it. As soon as I get up, I go to my uh, chair, put my uh, close-up pad on my lap, and I go back to rehearsing and practicing. From there, next time she'll see them in the gym, working out and practicing. And uh, then from there, creating some new project or script or show or book or whatever on my computer while I'm practicing. So uh, to me, uh, the, I'll put it this way, uh, the director of Delt, Luke Corum, Mm -hmm. guy, um, he would say, let's chill. And I would say, I don't want to chill. <laughs> chill is punishment. Chill is like putting myself in a corner. I don't want to chill. Uh, so my, I'm saying all that to say that there is no time that I am slowing down uh, to, as other people say, chill or relax. Now, to your question, and I'll let you state it again for the audience, yeah, well, to to the question, it's really about um, uh, during the pandemic how you've handled right. the the travel and and or lack of travel and performance. 
Yeah, during the pandemic, I had just flown in from South Africa. I was headlining in Cape Town. We arrived back in the States the first day they had their first case of COVID in South Africa. So we got back just in time. And I literally went from circling the world eight times in the past 18 months uh-huh. to a dead stop for the, and I thought, oh my gosh, I, I have three or four weeks off, they say. And I have this biography I've been working on with a guy named John Rockerbomber, R-A-C-H-E-R-B-A-U-M-E-R. Rocker, like a rocking chair, bomber like a bomber. So he refers to himself as a, a terrorist, the old terrorist, a rocker bomber. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's uh, an amazing guy. And uh, we he wrote down everything I've ever done in third person, uh, over the course of about five years. Huh. And so I thought, okay, I need to take care of this project. And it needs to be in first person because people wanted my voice. So I thought I had three or four weeks. I started working on it. And the good thing was, the good thing was, instead of taking three or four weeks, this COVID thing added, added, ended up lasting a year. Yeah. And I just finished it off about... A month ago, oh, great. that was only one of the things I did during COVID. I've done 51 different media events and interviews during COVID, mm. uh, uh, like 20 throughout South Africa, um, a number on the CW network. Um, uh, and then uh, I flew to, I was, they wanted me uh, in Russia on a show called How's this for a title? Superhuman, incredible people. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there's a show that was a, a, t- a spinoff of a show that was in China originally called Brain. And it's a brain-based show hmm. of people with uh, very unusual brains. And they wanted me on this show desperately. And, so, and my friends are saying, you're going to fly to Russia during COVID? I said it. All expense, get paid, vacation for two for a month in Russia. You better believe I'm going. Right. And the question is, the mystery is, how did I get into Russia? Because the borders to Russia are slammed shut. Mm. Unless you're a president or an ambassador of some status, you cannot get in. And when they first uh, approached and told me, and I went to the uh, went to the Russian consulate, they said, sorry. No visa for Turner. And it was on uh, Russia Channel 1, Russia TV 1. They were the biggest network in Russia. And uh, so then they uh, went to the Ministry of Internal Affairs and told the Russian consulate, we want Richard in. Here's an letter of invitation. They said, no visa. They went to the Ministry of External Affairs, up farther up the ladder. No visa for Turner. Finally, where they went to... President Putin's deputy prime minister. And when he told them, you're going to make exception, they said, it'll be ready in 30 minutes. <laughs> and, so, and so when I got to Istanbul, which was the last hop from there into Moscow, right? I got to Istanbul, they said, you realize you're not going to be able to go any further because the, the borders are flat, shut, tight. And uh, I said, and we, we were all ready for it. We had, everything was all set, what to do. And so we had him this letter of invitation from the prime minister, deputy prime minister and said, call that number. And the guy comes back and goes, who the heck are you <laughs> that the deputy prime minister of Russia said, you will make an exception in this case and open the doors for Richard Turner and let him in. So that's how I got in. And when I got in there, uh, they treated us extraordinarily well. I was really surprised. Mm. I've been all over the world, and um, I'm, I, I'd say it's the governments that seem to screw things up. The people everywhere I go are nice. Uh, when all through China, I was expecting one thing opposite what I thought. Mm. In Russia, I was expecting that I was going to be pulled over on every street corner by the KGB or the right. uh, uh, VR. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, the the state security, state security of some sort. Right, but that was not the case at all. And uh, the people there just every day and every night they had us going somewhere. Even though I have to say, I am sure that I was monitored because they put us up right next to the Kremlin in the 
hotel where the royalty and ambassadors and and uh, celebrities stay, mm. and they they never knew when I was going to go down for dinner. And yet, every time we'd go down, we'd say, oh, Mr. Turner, your table is ready. Everything uh. in that place, everything <laughs> in that place was taken except for my table. Right. And they would, uh, and, and so, <laughs> and one time I came out of the gym, and when I came out of the gym, I was met by this guy who said, yeah, he was the Russian ambassador to Turkey. And he said, I just want to say hi and ask if it's okay if I give you a hug. Mm, nice. <laughs> I said, sure, you know, and yeah. just one of those strange things that the ambassadors of Turkey, Russian ambassador of Turkey, wanted to give me a hug. Yeah. So anyway, bottom that's, line is that's one of the things I did during COVID. And, I, and like I said, I've done a lot of media. And, yeah. and, and then my wife and I, we just uh, returned from uh, Vail, Colorado. I was performing for a very, very wealthy, influential person at his very exquisite home in Vail. And I did that a couple weeks ago and I did it again a month ago. Mm. And I was just in San Diego two weeks ago and I'm getting ready to head off on a very interesting adventure with the guy that invented Siri. We're going on an adventure together and he's flying in, uh, in about 10 days and we're going to take a private jet and go uh, do some, uh, we're calling it a Jack Reacher adventure. Wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned, I, you know, this is something I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm from Toronto originally and I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. Yeah, I, um, I recognize your phone number 615 Nashville. Yep. That's Nashville. Where relatives are from. Represents. Yeah. Let me know when you're here next time. I, I would love to, to meet up. Um, okay. definitely. But, um, uh, you know, travel is very important to me uh, and my wife as well. My wife and I, my wife's from Tennessee. We met with backpacks on in Ireland in 1998. Uh, in fact, our wedding, our 20th wedding anniversary next in June is your birthday. So, 16th? yep, June 16th. Oh, well, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. So special, special day for us too. Um, and, but it's very important to us that our kids get to travel and see the world and understand of other cultures and things like that. And to your point about, about Russia and Russians is, you know, so often we, we group people together and say, you know, oh, those Russians, you know, hacking, whatever. And it's not the, you know, it might be the Russian authorities, but it's not Russian people. Like I have Russian friends, uh, from when I lived in Europe and they were super nice people. Like it's important that, you know, and I think that's something that travel teaches us is, is to be more empathetic and to, to, you know, understand that it's not, it's not leaders of countries, you know, they don't, they don't speak for the people necessarily that in that way. Right. Exactly. And that's yeah. what I mentioned is that I found that people are nice all over the place. Hey, you're listening to the nice podcast with Dave Delaney. That's me. Visit futureforth.com to learn how we can transform the communication at your organization. And if you need a speaker for your next online event or your in-person conference, are we doing in-person conferences yet? Uh, soon, I hope. Uh, you can visit DaveDelaneySpeaks.com and uh, you'll learn more about working with me there. All right, let's get back to the show. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, and I have to say, I have a whole bunch of new Russian friends and they're actually, they're following, um, my bio vlog. One of the other things I did during COVID, as mm. I started to mention, I started putting this biography together and I thought, I'm going to make this free to the world. So I did it, uh, in a way that is in section so people can watch it or read it on any mobile device. Oh, that's so great. it's 427 episodes and each one is no more than between 10 to 20 lines and uh, and at the end of each one is uh, sometimes video they can watch to uh, see like like when I did my 10 round fight I had to fight 10 fresh fighters yes to get on my black belt back back in 1984 and people say oh that's a bunch of hooey that he did <laughs> when they when you read the description oh you think it was hooey push the button and they watch it for real there's the actual video so it was covered by ABC and I was on the front page of the Los Angeles Times sports section. Yeah, you broke your right arm during that too. Yeah. And you I continued fought. fighting with it. So I three and a half rounds with a broken right arm, you bet. And in Tijuana. 
I, I know that's where my uh, sensei Murphy didn't want to deal with lawsuits, so he opened up the school in, uh, across the border in Tijuana. <laughs> sad, sadly, just uh, well, sadly and happily, uh, it was my 50th anniversary starting trade on March 5th. And on March 12th, my sensei passed away. So I was just at his funeral uh, ceremony in, uh, uh-huh. in, in Chula, which was right about 10 minutes from the Tijuana border mm. with the whole family. They're, they're as close a family as, yeah, as, I bet. as, I, as I have. I call him my second father. Yeah. But anyway, he was an amazing man. He was one of those guys that gave also. Um, he's the one that beat heart into me. He said he didn't care if you're blind, deaf, or dumb. He beat everyone equally. And mm. uh, he laid the foundation for me to believe that no matter what the situation is, you can overcome it if you will apply yourself. And so he laid that foundation that I thought I was invincible. Even though I was far from invincible, as I would, when I first started in martial arts, I'd get beat up by the girls and the kids. Mm. But mm-hmm. eventually uh, it uh, expanded to where I... Uh, I'm now a master six degree, and uh, so that that way he was a very important person, and like I said, laid that foundation for me to believe that anything is possible. Absolutely, yeah, and and really, I mean, you you are living proof of that for sure. You talked about not chilling with Luke. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> you told um, okay, so I I have to geek out. I am a big Penn and Teller fan. Uh, I've, 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 I've seen them multiple times over the years and, and even since I was a kid. In fact, I saw, you know, Penn and Teller famously come out of the theater and interact with the audience afterwards and they don't leave until they've met every person who wants yep. to meet them and have a photo taken, which I've always thought is, is fantastic. And, um, and actually I was 16 and I used to smoke. And I remember 17 or 18 or something when I first saw them. And I remember I was smoking outside of the theater and Penn and Teller had come out and Penn actually like slapped my wrist and said, you shouldn't be smoking <laughs> as we were talking. And I actually two, two you know, so I do, I do, this is two, I guess two questions here, but the, the first is, um, uh, well talking about smoking, actually, I, the way I quit smoking, by the way, um, a friend of mine taught me the French drop, which is a common coin sleight right. of hand for, for listeners. And, I started doing this French drop move all the time when I was walking down the street. I'd have a coin or a quarter or whatever in my hand and I would do the French drop over and over and over and over again. And, and that kept my hands busy so I couldn't smoke. Tied up your hands. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, I recognized in, in, uh, in seeing the film and, and your work and hearing you shuffle the cards in the background. Um, tell me a little bit about how you, I know you picked up cards from uh i think uh from from watching maverick as a kid is that correct right yeah we watched old westerns and i loved old westerns and and uh, uh i initially started playing with cards about seven years old hmm. with my sister deborah and sometimes my other sister Lori, but she was a little young but we play for m&ms hmm. and i was the oldest and i won all her m&ms and the rest <laughs> were the most valuable they were they were they were suited just the same way you have chips yeah. That's the most valuable, the brown's the least valuable. And so I'd figure out ways to make sure I got all the M&Ms. <laughs> and so that, that was my initial start yes. with the cards. And um, and then, I, like I said, I'd watch the Westerns and I'd hear the, the describe some kind of a move on Bonanza, or particularly Maverick. Mm. And uh, and so then I started, started practicing all through high school I guys, first day of ninth grade, I got in trouble because I'm sitting there playing cards with the guy sitting next to me, and I cheated him out of a quarter. Teacher comes in, uh, takes my cards from me, and admonishes me, and sends me to the back of the class. That was my first day day of ninth grade. <laughs> but but what was really cool is, you know, I mean, uh, maybe maybe I don't know if we've mentioned it, but my your solicitors may or may not know I have no sight. My right. vision started going south when I was nine years old. My sister and I, we both contracted scarlet fever. And it, we, the same thing happened to both of us. Within one minute, we were both actually watching the chalkboard, too. And mm. within one minute, everything went to clear to, to a blur. Mm. And, uh, and, and, you know, in 60, 
66, we were both sent out to a special school for visually impaired. But the guy that ran the school was a guy named Ed Bryan, and he had this assistant that was so wrinkled. I thought she must have been about 200 years old at that time. <laughs> but she was just sweet as all get out. And, and uh, we would, Mr. Bryan would do his card magic for us, ah. which I loved. And then, um, then I would, I would show my card tricks that I had, I was working on developing. Mrs. Smith asked me, why do you like cards so much? I said, well, it's because I don't need to see. I can feel what I'm doing. And she found this book called Expert at the Card Table, a classic. And she recorded parts of it on a giant seven-inch reel-to-reel tape recorder and said, you can take it home and use it to practice from. So I'd put these giant rock-hard headphones on and listen to it while I was at nighttime and and, you know, that was the start of learning some you know, different stacks, the beginning of trying to deal off the bottom, second deal, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it was a kindness that she did, or a niceness in particular, and uh, it really set the destiny of my life. Absolutely. And you took something that, you know, others might allow them to hold them back, and you, and you made it your superpower. and. Even the way you described your vision, you know, and I've, I've read and heard you talk about uh, a kaleidoscope of colors and burgundy is your favorite. Um, how can others take something that, that, that might be holding them back or seemingly holding them back and flip it on its head like someone on the other end of your martial arts? <laughs> that, how, you know, that it depends on their makeup. Hmm. And I would, if I would find out, figure out, depending on what their circumstances, what it is that they're passionate about, that they love, that they cannot not do. Hmm. They have to do. They want to do. You can't stop them from doing it. Yeah. I had a friend that he was in a um, car accident, and he was paralyzed from the waist down. He became one of those star wheelchair basketball players, toured the world. Mm. And uh, so he, but he found someone he loved. And on the same token, he also found cards. And he was also a card hustler in the same way I was. And that's why we became friends and how we became friends. Ah, nice. Many moons ago. Um, so anyway, find out, figure out what it is that you love and that you can take your issue, disability, challenge, uh, and turn it into an asset. That's it's sometimes easier said than done. I I know for myself, at first I you know I was upset about it and I rebelled and I did the typical 1960s early 70s thing getting involved with drugs and stuff. <laughs> and uh, but then um, like I said I I got I picked up the cards and I found that I had a very special touch and and. And that led me to where I am today. Uh, but I would just say again, find what you love. Find what you're passionate about. Figure out how you can make it work. Because uh, I had people tell me, there's no way you're going to make a living with cards. And I uh, many times. <laughs> and, uh, of course, then they later they say, I always knew you were going to be able to make it with cards. I go, yeah. A few uh-huh. years ago, you said just the opposite, and I don't. You think I don't remember that? <laughs> yeah, you showed them for sure. I'm curious, actually. Have you ever done uh, personality assessments like uh, DISC or Enneagram or Strengths Finder? Any of those personality assessment tools? Uh, you mean on myself for myself on yourself? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, like the Taylor Johnson, and I can't remember what they are now. Hmm. Yeah, and then, and of course I've been. Uh, analyzed and interviewed by neuroscientists from Moscow to Harvard. Yeah. Because I, you know, my brain is non-typical. And in the words of the people, uh, in Russia, they said, you're one of a kind. Hmm. Well, what's that like being one of a kind? I'd tell them, well, that means I'm a certified oddball. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and that, and, and, and what's unusual is that, you know, I have a condition called Charles Bonnet syndrome. Hmm. It was documented in 1760. And in my case, what that means is, is I see my subconscious in external space. In other words, I don't see in front of me, like a typical blind person, nothing or blackness. I see, as you described, a kaleidoscope of beautiful, vivid 
colors, reds, blues, yellows, greens, every, every color in the rainbow. And the thing is, they are layered in two dimensions, but they're, they're two dimension images, but they're layered three dimensionally. Hmm. And I can take any subconscious image that I'm looking at externally and zoom it in, turn it around, analyze it, or I can use it like living in virtual reality. I can design houses. I've done my design my own houses, patio decks, create and play high, high level board games and puzzle games and solve problems. I, one of the things people see me doing all the time, if I'm weird, is I write in the air. That's mm. how I take notes. I want to remember a phone number. I just write the number down in the air. And it will wow. sit there in front of me, just like you'd see it on a computer screen. Huh. And I have what's called an eidetic memory. is a photographic memory. And I'll take a picture of that image, and I'll never forget it. And I file it away. And like right now, I have a new play out there. They're booking me in London for uh, a one, my one-man show. And I rewrote the whole thing because they want it uh, to be part of my uh, program that I do for the corporate, which is winning with the hand you've been dealt. And Delta is an acronym. D stands for dreams. Our dreams fuel the fire in our belly. E, excellence. What opens doors is becoming an expert at achieving a state of excellence. A, analysis. Socrates famously said, an unexamined life is not worth living. Mm-hmm. L is loyalty. F, be loyal to our company, colleagues, customers, and values such as honesty and integrity. And T, T is tenacity, my favorite word. Yes. Tenacity breaks down the barriers of stand between us and our dream. So I took three of my different programs and I rolled them all into this one play. And I just literally, as before you got here, I was putting in all the technical uh, descriptions where which camera to be zoomed in at what point. Because throughout my my program, which is kind of my life story woven in with these uh, points, and in, interlaced with that is my card work. Mm. And uh, so anyway, that's uh, one of the things that I, I'm doing, and I, and I have... 30 pages of text to memorize. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and, and I, like I said, I memorize while I sleep. I work on it during the day, record it on a this thing called a stream, and, uh, and then I put my headphones on and I listen to it while I sleep, and, and that's how I memorize it. And... Um, and, and, and then, <laughs> anyway, now, like I said, I was just finished putting in all the finishing touches on the text technical script, but I have a whole lot of memorization there to, to <laughs> put in this old brain. And as I get older, it's, it's a, a little more, a little more fun, a little more of a challenge, a little more of an adventure. Right. Well, it's interesting with a photographic memory. I remember um, when I was a kid, I took judo and um, one of the one of the kids that that took it with me there had a photographic memory, and he could remember birthdays. Like that was the thing that he he focused on. And so, like, I ran into him like I don't know twenty years later, and he's like Dave Delaney, April sixteenth, and he had my birthday, and he had my brother's birthday. I hadn't seen the guy in like twenty years. Is there? I've heard with photographic memories that there's. You know, it doesn't mean that you can remember everything a hundred percent, but are there areas that you focus on? And excuse me for my ignorance here. Um, you know, are there, are there specific things that you are focused on remembering or can you shift the way, you know, and, and focus on one topic or something so that you can, you can get better at remembering that? Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, both. I can, I can watch any episode of my life. And it's not like watching a movie projector, like TV, where it's constant action. It's in stills, still shots. But they will be those still shots will move across, and so I can replay any uh, moment in my life. And as my wife will say, when I tell a story, she'll have heard it thirty years ago, and in thirty years different, it will be almost word for word because when I'm telling something. I'm reliving it. I'm watching it as it happens. And, uh, and so that, that's how I see things. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, um, I can take and write in the air. In fact, that's what I'll do. I'll have notes on the script that I'm memorizing and, I'm, and, uh, and, and keep places where I'll get, I'll go, oh, 
what was what was the next thing? And I just write that note down. When I get to that point, mm. all of a sudden my brain will all of a sudden project in front of me those letters or those words that I put at that point. Aha, there it is, and, I, and, and I'm able to continue. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. But but yeah, it, it's a very it's a I'm very blessed to have it. In fact, one of the neuroscientists from Harvard says I'm a perfect candidate for a bionic eye because my um, my the part of my brain that relates to vision is still fully intact. Mm. It's my retinas that are gone. I have no retinas, so it's with images getting into the brain, but the brain, the visual networks in the brain are fully intact, and, and my haptic and tactile neural network, the uh, networks related to touch, have interacted, have uh, kind of joined together with those visual networks, and those two networks, networks are now resonating with each other. Mm. And that's why through touch, I can touch something, and I will instantly have a full picture of what that item is projected in front of me. That's amazing. Did, has, you mentioned that Asa is doing, he's now doing um, virtual reality development work. Um, has he has he tapped your shoulder to to talk to you about any of this? Because I mean, I, I, it feels like there's a definite connection here between what you're seeing and what and what the work that he's doing in, in virtual reality. Yeah, there's a, a very 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 similar. But the thing is, he grew up knowing how and how I see and what I see and and what I can do with what I see. So he has that mm-hmm. kind of in his DNA because he was just born and grew up with it. Right. And so I, I don't know if that's really helping him in his area of yeah. coding for VR. Um, but I if, I think it may because he does definitely have an understanding in that area because he has a strange dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I mentioned Penn and Teller earlier and when you were on their show and you fooled them, uh, of course, I would not, I would, I would, uh, I would expect you to. Um, but you were on Penn and Teller and you, um, you talked about, um, you said that the worst disabilities are procrastination and laziness. And, uh, to that point, how can, how can people, you know, listening overcome this. I, I mean, I'm guilty of it sometimes, and I know plenty of people who are guilty. Maybe not laziness as much as procrastination. I, I'm certainly been that. And I think part of, like, I wrote a book called New Business Networking. And when I wrote that book, I went through, and this is a topic I, I speak a lot about on this, on this, on this podcast is about self doubt and kind of overcoming, overcoming imposter syndrome and things. And that's really something. I've experienced in writing a book and, and authors commonly do. So you end up often procrastinating rather than just doing the work. So can you speak a little bit about maybe how we can improve and kind of eliminate these uh, disabilities of procrastination and laziness? Well, as you know, I've been, I started training in the martial arts, uh, March 5th, 1971. Hmm. And over the past 18,000, and 30 days approximately, I have put in around 21,000 workouts. Uh, so that means I've, uh, I have a workout for every day for 50 years. Oh, but, wow. In fact, a little more because there are many times I have double workouts. And the way I tell someone, they, and, 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 and I'm bragging. Okay, I'm just going to flat out brag. <laughs> do it. Do it. Instead of trying to be humble or whatever, I'll just make a, <laughs> state, make a statement. When I got my first black belt, I weighed 168. When I got my fourth degree black belt, I weighed 170. When I got my sixth degree black belt, I weighed 168 and six ounces. Mm. And then my wife, when she weighed me about two weeks ago, I weighed exactly 168 again. So... My weight from what I was 37 years ago to the ounce is the same way I am now at 67 years old. Mm. And what I tell people, they say, how do you maintain your discipline? How do you get started? That's what I tell people to do. Make it so easy you cannot say no. Mm. I say, just take a walk. Just say, I'm going to walk down to the two houses down and walk back. The next day, I'm going to walk three houses down and walk back. In other words, make it so easy that you cannot talk yourself out of it because it's too easy. But the thing is, discipline breeds discipline. 
The more you do something, the more you can do of it. And eventually, the better you'll do it. And eventually, as you start walking, then I say, okay, now run the length of one house, walk. Run the length of one house, walk. And now I say, just walk, run the whole block. And before you know it, that person's now doing marathons. Mm. So mm-hmm. you, you just get yourself started in a slow way. And then eventually, you just add a little bit more. And the same thing in other areas, whatever you're interested in, when it comes to procrastination. There's a saying, don't put off today what you can do tomorrow. Mm. That's not what I say. I say, don't put off today what you can do right now. Right. If I can do it right now, I don't wait till later on in the day. I do it right now. My wife is the same way, Kim. When she comes home, she's tired from work. She has mail. She doesn't stop and put the mail down and, uh, and look at it later. No, she does it right now. She goes through it. Cycle, recycle, recycle, recycle. 99% of it was recycle. Oh, here's one bill. Thank you very much. (laughs) But she's the same way. Don't put off later what you can do right now. And if you just go for it right now, and and even if you only do a little piece of it, Mm. it will just, it'll, it'll start breeding discipline. As I said, discipline breeds discipline. That's great. But, you know, we talk a lot, you know, our kids are 15 and, or 14 and 15. And, uh, my wife and I are always telling them, you know, to, yeah, not to put things off and to get started on things. And, and even just for a few minutes here and there to get started is, is a, is a great, great way to, to build habits that way. Um, you know, one of the things we do is we always, we always try to, we try to encourage them not to be empty handed in the sense that like, if they're moving from one, and we don't live in some massive house or anything far from it. But um, we always want them to be like, you know, if you're moving from one room to the other, take the recycling or take the garbage or take some laundry. Like my wife and I are both recovering. We call ourselves recovering servers. We've worked in a million restaurants, you know, a million years ago. And so we learned that like you've always if you're going back to the kitchen, bring something back to the kitchen. If you're always, you know, don't be empty handed. So good thing to do. And I do the exact same thing. I love it. I'm going downstairs from my office to something. I realize we have a showdown coming up. I, I will take my board. I, you're exactly right. Make sure that every action uh, has a reward or a benefit or uh, a task that needs to be done as part of that action. Yeah, that's that's great. And you practice uh, card play for, I think it was 14 hours a day for 26 days, seven days a week. Was that right? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I've, I've been working with cards for 60 years now. Yeah. But for 50 years, I practiced three to 20 hours a day, seven days a week for 50 years. And for 25 of those years, the average work day, practice day was 14 hours. <sighs> so I have Malcolm Gladwell's rule of 10,000 hours. He says to become a master at anything, you have to devote at least 10,000 hours to that craft. That basically breaks down to three hours a day, seven days a week for 10 years. Hmm. I have it multiplied by at least 15. Yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I will, you, I, I know you mentioned, uh, you said instead of practice makes perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. Right. I see that all the time in my business, in the martial arts, you may, you know, they'll, they'll throw a sidekick, they'll swoop it up rather than shoot it in like a, like a, a jab, you know, you lift it up and shoot that leg in. They'll, they'll swoop it up. Okay, they've been sitting there practice swooping that uh, sidekick up, and they may have practiced it a thousand times, and they think they have it perfectly right. No, they have it perfectly wrong. Uh-huh. People with a deck, they're practicing a second deal, and they're practicing a strike, and the hands are doing all these odd actions, the thumbs crossing each other, whatever, maybe, and uh, they have spent years developing it, and they learned it perfectly wrong. Mm. You have to redo it. So perfect practice makes perfect. And what I do is I'll take a move. You know, I'll relate it to the cards. Uh, first, I decide what is my objective. Okay, my objective is to say deal a second where there's no leaking or unnatural actions of the of the move. And mm. I'll analyze it piece by piece and break it down frame by frame. And I'll practice it in slow motion, analyzing every element of what I'm doing, and I do it until every element of that muscle memory is firmly embedded in my brain, and then I turn it into a subconscious habit where I'm doing like I'm doing right now with you. 
I'm totally unaware what my hands are doing, but they are practicing moves constantly. Yeah. So I'm always, uh, like I said, I turn into a subconscious habit. So that way I'm, I'm sitting in the car at a movie theater, in the grocery store, where whatever, uh, I have the, whatever the latest move is that I want to get down is, is part of my subconscious. And my, my hands are constantly working on that action. And then I might look up six months later, a year later. Sometimes it might be two, three, five, nine years later. And all of a sudden I go, I got it. You know, yeah. so that. Is it, that's how I approach things. Is that something that you picked up, um, you know, when you were nine and your, your vision became impaired or as it got progressively worse? Or is that something that you picked up from your study of karate I, or martial arts? Because I could see I, – I, I could envision like that happening in both in both cases of, of this repetition. Yeah, well, both of it. Part of it was I was a hyper kid. Mm. If I would have grown up today, they probably would have crammed me full of – all these drugs to slow me down, uh-huh. you know, and, and I think that's um, a lot of kids out there that are being uh, limited because of the fact that the pharmaceutical industry wants to sell drugs. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like I said, I know they would have had me on who knows what. And so I already, I was kind of like that, and I got that from my dad. My dad is like that. He never slows down. You know, he would always was doing something. And... Uh, so um, yeah, that, 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 yeah. That, that's what I do. I just I never I never slow down. And in in the movie in Dell, Luke did such a great job of kind of the the timeline of the film, beginning you know in your youth to to you know kind of current times or you know um, or present day, I guess. And and towards the end of the film, you know, as a viewer, um, you sort of. You sort of followed your life and, and at a point you started to accept, um, not, not to allow a, a, a visual impairment to, to slow you down because far from it, clearly in the movie that, that's depicted very well. Um, but I think as you started to acknowledge or accept it, you, you then were able to, start maybe loving yourself better and also using what you have learned to teach others, which I thought um, there was a, a young girl in the film, uh, Michaela. Yes. Um, do you still, do you ever talk to her? Have you ever? Yeah. We've had dinner. We, uh, we've had dinner and she called me about, about two months ago and asking, helping, having me uh, help her t- talk her through something that she was working on with the cards. This makes me so happy to hear I love that because there was such a touching moment, but it's, you know, it, it was so, so good to see. Do you think you would have been able to get to this point of teaching, you know, children, teaching others, had you not accepted this for yourself? See, what I think what you're referring to is my accepting my own limitations because right. I was very stubborn and I did not want to, I didn't want other people to know that I was visually impaired. Right. And uh, if someone mentioned it, Depending on what era of my life I was in, you may have got hurt, you may have got hurt really bad, or I would have just been kind of rude. <laughs> I would say, yeah, he's blind. I'd say, oh, yeah, and he has a wooden leg. That was me being polite. Right. I'd just bounce back <laughs> and tell the other guy, tell him that this guy has a wooden leg. And they go, oh, really? Does he have a wooden leg? <laughs> but, um, so I, uh, and so when I finally lost all my sight, because it was a degeneration. That's when I realized I need to, I need help from others. And when we realize that we're not Superman, that there are times that it's okay to accept help from others. And when we accept that, then we can uh, move on with our life. And that's kind of really what uh, the kind of the, one of the messages in the film was, is the fact that I was stubborn. And then when my wife, she would say, you can't conquer what you're not willing to confront. Mm-hmm. You can't conquer what you're not willing to confront. And once I confronted the fact that, hey, I have no more sight. Okay, that's the new situation. That's the new adventure. Yeah. Share it. Don't hide it. Uh, Kim would say it's inspiring and encourages others. So share. You, you don't, your friends yeah. want to know. Your friends want to help you. Stop denying them. And so I took her, heeded her words, and moved on with moved on with my life. Accepted accepted the new reality, 
and it made a big difference. Now, like I said, I don't care what someone says about me, what they say, and I'm happy to share anything that someone wants to talk about, ask about, and uh, and how I got there and why and what I did to get there. I love that. And I love the fact that, that Kim, you know, uh, helped you this way too and, and urged you to do that. I think it's amazing, you know, and, and I guess one wish I have for everybody in this world, and there's plenty of wishes, but one wish is that they find their soulmate. They find someone who is the yeah. just com- perfectly compatible to, to work, you know, w- with each other. And I am, I'm very blessed that my wife, Heather, um, you know, that we, that she put up with my own self-destruction, uh, early on and, and, uh, and urged me, pushed me to go back to school, pushed me to, to support me while I was writing my book and having two incredible kids and things like that. And she's been just a wonderful, you know, support for me. So, and, and, and I saw that similarity. Uh, I recognized that as I was watching the film too. Yeah. And we're, uh, uh, with 30 years that we're in our 31st year together and um, like I said she's my treasure of all treasures I I've had girlfriends and stuff in relationships in the past yeah. I would have never given up my wealth whatever it was at the time or my skills or anything for that person with Kim I would give up all that I have uh, for what the Bible calls the pearl of great price yeah. how did you guys meet well, we met on a riverboat. I was the I was the card shark, and she was the assistant general manager of the place. And uh, one day we were talking, and they, I mentioned that I was out with a friend hunting rattlesnakes that weekend. And she goes, "Well, isn't that interesting?" I was in those same Cuyamaca Mountains in San Diego. She said, "I was also looking for rattlesnakes with my brother." And I thought, wow, this is a woman after my own heart, adventurous. And so I guess, asked y'all, guess what our first date was? What's that? Rattlesnake hunting. <laughs> Call me romantic. I should have guessed. <laughs> that was our first date. I asked you to go rattlesnake hunting with me. That's amazing. That's, that's great. Have you ever got her like some rattlesnake skin shoes or something? <laughs> no, but I did just get a, uh, a, uh, Python skinned wallet, front uh, front uh, uh, wallet. Nice, <laughs> that's amazing. That's a, that's that's so cool. Yeah, for me, uh, Heather Heather actually finally asked me out because I didn't get the nerve to ask her out. So she was the one that asked me out. So it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we done all kinds of things together. And, you know, the first couple of years, yeah, you know, we went roller coaster riding. We loved roller coasters and. Bungee cord jumping, weight training, karate training. That's great. Anyway, so and then we even survived when the larger, the second largest earthquake in the history of the United States, a seven point three earthquake. We were right at the epicenter of you know, the Big Bear Mountains, and everything came crashing around with us. Oh my gosh! And afterwards, I said, "Well, hon, did you did when I kissed you? Did you feel the earth shake?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, and there's, I'm, I'll get hit for this one. Uh-uh. I told her, I said, when I die, I want it to be one of two ways, ways, either on stage making love to you. <laughs> and she says, great. On your tombstone, I wrote, I'll write, he came and went. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your audience is not too young to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> All right. Well, let me move on to the lightning round here. I got a few more questions for you. I, I want to be respectful of your time here. Um, so finish this sentence. Uh, nice guys and gals finish first. Love it. What is a nice book that you recommend to the nice makers listening? Gosh, there's so many. That regard. Gosh. Um, the Bible. Ah, yes. A classic. Not expert at the table. No. <laughs> no the Bible would be probably the first thing. <laughs> Good call. Good call. And how is Richard Turner nice to himself? I use new cards when I want to be nice to myself instead of practicing with the old ones. I love that. Yeah. In the movie, uh, 
you, <laughs> you, you're, you, you have boxes and boxes and shelves of, 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 of playing cards all around yes. you. Yes. Yes. And we have a new home since, uh, since that film, mm. quite, quite a bit larger home. And, uh, and now the, the stacks are even higher. Is that a larger room or home because you need more room for the cards? Yeah, this one has like 20 rooms. And, uh, oh, wow. My, my wife uh, says, you know, say, must you take every closet in the house? You know? <laughs> and they, they, they have all, we had a large house, the last house, but this one, we have so much space now that I'm not getting, uh, uh, teased for taking up every <laughs> closet in the house with cards and my stuff. Do you have any like secret passages and stuff? I know like Penn Gillette apparently has like some sort of crazy house in Vegas that, uh, yeah. Uh, not, not really other than, you know, our, the attics in this house are as big as rooms and they're fully finished out. So if you wanted to go up there, you could go up there. <laughs> I don't know why you would want to. <laughs> Fair enough. So and if you had a billboard, what would it say? Don't let anyone tell you it's impossible. That is fantastic, Richard. It has been uh, honestly an honor to have you on the nice podcast. I sincerely really do appreciate your time. Well, it was very nice to hang out with you. Yeah, let's do it again soon. You bet. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Baker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice.